Alice said she had come to talk with me about her father or her relationship with her father. Well, that and her faith or lack thereof. Or maybe she'd come to complain about God. Or not so much to complain as to confess her confusion. She was certain about her confusion, she said. She knew she didn't understand why things worked out the way they did. Alice outlined her story this way. Her father had been physically and emotionally abusive during her entire childhood, and her mother had been either oblivious, in denial, or in secret collusion. Alice's older sister, Bernice, had cut off all relationship with her parents as soon as she had turned 18. And over the last several decades, she and Alice had maintained an uneasy, distant connection. Alice had always felt torn about Bernice's abandonment. Some days she thought she should have let go of her parents as well, as Bernice had strongly insisted. But when Mom died, her father was in poor health, and, and Alice tried to describe how she felt. She wasn't exactly sure how she felt. Was it duty or pity or some sort of primal familial connection. Whatever the motivation, over the, the past several decades, she had stayed in touch with this emotionally remote man, occasionally taking care of his affairs when health issues required, and for the last year had overseen his care as Alzheimer's slowly stripped him of his memory and personality. In all of her years, Alice said she could honestly say she had never liked the man and sometimes had quite hated him. And she never felt any guilt over this. She had always seen her options as two, washing her hands like Bernice had done, or hanging in with him, which she only now was coming to believe might have something to do with working out a few things for herself important things, spiritual things. Alice wasn't sure why she had not been more emotionally damaged than she was. She told me she had had years of therapy. She had scars. For instance, in her 20s and 30s, she couldn't work for any man, and she changed jobs regularly. But over time, her anger and bitterness slowly evaporated. Bernice, on the other hand, had never let go of her anger, even though she thought she had let go of her parents. Bernice had been incensed when Alice took their father into her home in these last days. Anyway, Alice was now thinking about her father's death. He was now a patient in hospice. She wanted to talk about it reflect on their history together, maybe gain some perspective on why she had done what she had done. But all things considered, she was surprised to find herself feeling she had had a pretty good life after all. Somehow she had managed to marry a loving man. They had lost one son in 
childbirth, but adopted another, and it was no picnic raising him, she said, but eventually he had managed to get his life in order, and they now had a decent, loving relationship. As for God and faith, well, well, that was the reason she had come, after all, to talk about God. She said that early in her life, there had been many days she had prayed to God with tears in her eyes to take her out of the house to save her from her family, especially her father. And those days evolved into years believing there was no God. But over time, that gave way to something deeper, some deeper knowing that God had been with her all along. She couldn't make sense of the suffering, but somehow she had accepted that God's grace was the source of her strength to move out of her past. And lately, she was aware of a profound hopefulness for what lay ahead. She was full of hope, she said. She said she was actually glad she was able to care for her father, as it turned out. She wasn't sure why. It really didn't make sense. Still, she believed that some kind of reconciliation had occurred within her, and she could pray that God would find him acceptable, if imperfect. She did this even though she told me she had never found him acceptable herself. She told God that God could take it from here. And you know, she sort of marveled at how far she had come. Now she had this hopefulness, this sense of heightened expectation for what lay ahead in her life. She was just really hopeful, and she knew that this was a spiritual gift. Well, today we lit our first candle on our wreath of anticipation. We call this the candle of hope. Advent is the season of hope. Although it seems God has been absent from the human scene recently, we have not been abandoned, only left on our own, the way a householder might leave the care of his property to his servants. He'll soon return. We don't know exactly when, but he's on his way back. In the meantime, the servants have work to do as stewards of all that's been placed into their care. And as you heard Mark's account, that's the way Jesus described the human situation. And actually, as I was thinking about it this week, it dawned on me that you might be feeling that our situation seems quite precarious today. I mean, the news this week alone was rife with topics that could show up in a sermon. And I thought about it. In addition to the deluge of fallen media and political titans due to sexual harassment and abuse, we learned on Tuesday that North Korea had test-fired a ballistic missile that could hit Washington, D.C., then Wednesday, we, we were treated by a presidential retweet of a British far-right extremist 
followed by news of Rex Tillerson's slow-motion political execution, followed by the plea deal worked out with former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn, not to mention the machinations around a once-in-a-generation tax bill that will impact all of us for a generation and our children longer. How rattled we all are, confused, concerned, worried about the state of things, fractured into political warring camps, now stunned and amazed at the breakneck pace of change otherwise, it can seem there's little solid ground under our feet. The sky is falling, Chicken Little is heard to exclaim. So for the first Sunday of Advent at this uncertain moment, it might seem counterintuitive, I thought of Alice, but but here's the thing, here's the thing. Despite whatever else might be happening in the world, we carry on with our own lives, with our own individual daily struggles. We carry on. The larger issues require our thoughtful Engagement, and we will make time for that for certain. But in the meantime, we're working out our own salvation with fear and trembling, as the Apostle Paul put it. And Alice came to mind because at the end of her story of her own fear and trembling journey, she had come to tell me that she was filled with hope for what lay ahead. And honestly, she didn't necessarily have a truly good reason for that on the face of it. And she realized this hope came to her as a gift. Despite hardship, there was a direction and purpose to her journey. All she had to do was receive it with open hands and heart. So on this first Sunday in Advent, I want to make this simple point that in the days ahead, we'll keep our focus on the deeper things, the things that matter, and the inexplicable hope that bubbles up with the force of a geyser breaking through the hard shell of a crusty life. All of us want that kind of hope. That's the sort of That's the sort of energy that filled Isaiah when he exclaimed to God, oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down so that the mountains would quake at your presence. I'm thinking we need the reminder that God is still God. Note the book on the lap of the exalted Christ up there. It's open to a page that says, I am the light of the world. When lost, it's helpful to check a compass to reorient and reestablish a correct bearing for the journey ahead. Advent is like a compass. I'm suspecting that many of you know the serenity prayer, maybe all of you. It's attributed to Reinhold Niebuhr. It begins this way, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. 
courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. That's the part that's most well known. But it continues like this. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as the pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that God will make all things right if I surrender to God's will, that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with God forever in the next. That's a good prayer. Recently reminded of this wisdom, I thought it sounded like an Advent prayer. And then connecting dots, it seemed to me that Alice find, found herself living this prayer. It's a prayer about truth and hope that could become our own if we are willing to open our minds and hearts to the promises we proclaim in here in the coming weeks. So, you know, as the holiday falderall ramps up, don't be anesthetized by the food and the booze and the travel. And don't fall into a spiral of despair over current conditions. Instead, pay attention, keep alert. Keep your heart and your hands open with expectation that God will have the day at last. And in the meantime, there, there's work to do. There's work to do. There's some loving to do. There is some giving to do. There is some courageous labor for the sake of our common good that's been assigned to you, to you. You know, <laughs> the very best antidote to despair that I know of involves proactively doing something good and useful. <laughs> 